0: This morning, I want us to spend a little bit of time talking about not really about sports. I know Justin and I both like sports, and so sometimes those illustrations creep in. And that's what it is. It's a backdrop. It's an illustration for a biblical point that I want to share with you this morning. Um, And I don't apologize for doing that either because the Apostle Paul, by inspiration from time to time, slips sports in if you're not aware of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 26, he talks about racing, running a race. And, uh, he in verse 24 talks about boxing and how you, you, you discipline yourself and you don't flail with the air and burn yourself out. Um, he talks about in First Timothy, uh, or 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 in a very general term, Athletics in general, how that we have to play by the rules if we're to receive that, that crown at the end to be rewarded. And so I want to, I want to follow Paul's lead this morning and use as, uh, well, use sports as a jumping off point for a very biblical, uh, and much needed lesson that I want to share with you this morning and challenge you with. What I had to say this morning don 't just use it as a well, you know we 're just that that was nice. I, I want to challenge you to put into practice when we leave here today to put into practice what we talked about and, and there 's a call to action in in this lesson. Um, all of us probably are aware of in sports, there are a lot of things that are not done, I would say, to the betterment of the team, but, but there are a lot of things that are done to just say, look at me. Some of the end zone celebrations, some of the things that take place all say, look at me, and they're not about really the team. Um, there was a guy in, well, 1974, Billy White Shoes Johnson. Do you remember him? Um, If you'll advance a slide to the next one more, Uh, that may look familiar. Billy White Shoes Johnson was, you know, this is the day when the guys were still wearing the black shoes, you know, high tops, very old school. And Billy White Shoes Johnson played for the Houston Oilers, and he came on the scene, and he put white shoes on. And whenever he would score a touchdown, man, he would go into this knee-knocking dance and was one of the first guys that ever really did this end zone celebration as we know it today. And, And man, the opposing team hated for him to score. And he intentionally found great pleasure in scoring because he could rub that in the face of the opponents and they hated that. Um, there, not a whole lot. I mean, there was a, there was a whole lot of look at me in, in this behavior. Uh, not really about the team, but about him. In 1983, there was a guy by the name of Mark Gastineau. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember him. He played for the Jets. Man, he, he was a sack monster. He came on the scene and just was a, a terror to quarterbacks. And it was always the offense that was getting to celebrate in the end zone and, and doing their thing. And so Gastineau said, you know what, I'm going to start a sack celebration. And every time he would sack a quarterback, he would go into these crazy antics, so much so that the NFL outlawed it the following year and said, we are not going to put up with this. This is just humiliating to the other team. It's just over the top. It's unsportsmanlike. We're not going to have this anymore but his celebration was very self-centered, if you will. In 2005, we started this jersey popping. You, you remember when all that started? You know, uh, guys would just like put their thumbs inside their jersey and pop out the name of the team. And it, it was done, you know, just like, look at me, look what I did, look at my school. And and uh, it, it got under the skin of the opponents. When somebody would do something amazing, you know, there they'd be, popping their jersey. And, again, it, it wasn't always in the best of taste. Then you can also turn to 2011. Um, Patty Mills of the Portland Trailblazers, you've seen the three, you know, looking through. Well, he did a double, you know, it's that, called the Goggles. And whenever he would shoot a three-point shot and make it, he'd run down the court like that, you know, holding three fingers up, you know, bullseye, looking through the goggles. And just, you know, again, it was like an attention thing. Everybody picked it up. You know, everybody's doing their threes. And, and uh, but again, it was about him. It was all about him and drawing attention to what he had just done. And then even right now, you know, I'm am a I'm a UK basketball fan. And, uh, but, you know, Devin Booker, he's a freshman on, on the Kentucky team. Whenever he shoots a three pointer, he, he reloads. You know, it's like his arm is a shotgun and he will slide his arm, hand down the arm, you know, like he's reloading a shotgun to, to do it again. And I saw some other guys on other teams doing the very same thing now. They've picked that up and, and it's, and, and it's, again, it's a show that focuses on the player. Look at me. Look what I just did. The passage that Barry just read in Philippians is a passage that refers to a person who is in Jesus not being someone who is just looking out for self but there's someone who looks out to the needs of others. They don't have to be the focus of attention. As Christians, we we can look out and let others have credit. While these things that we just looked at often um, are self-centered and focus on the person, look what I just did, look how good I was. There is one, and I'm not much for these kind of celebrations. I guess I'm just like, I want a guy to, to score a touchdown and hand the ball to the ref. You know, that, I guess I'm old school, I don't know. But that, that's the way I see it coming down. But, but there is a celebration that has my stamp of approval. Um, not that that matters, but I think it's, it's very classy, very, well, biblical, Back in the 60s and 70s, two coaches, John Wooden and Dean Smith, Wooden coach for uh, UCLA for many years, um, Dean Smith for North Carolina, these coaches um, began to incorporate in their practices and in their games a specific uh, celebration. But it was a celebration that didn't draw attention to oneself, but it was a celebration that gave attention to the other guy. You see, for every dunk that a big man has that just, you know, brings people to their feet and they're just screaming and hollering, usually somebody fed him the ball. Someone made a good pass inside and enabled him to make a move and and dunk or Or somebody going in for a layup and they throw a bounce pass to him, just catches him right in stride, he goes up for a layup, perfect. And what Smith and Wooden both did in their respective schools is they said, you're going to point to the guy that threw you the ball. You know, the guy that gave you the assist, when you score, you point to that person and acknowledge, good pass. And so it became a tradition and they did it in their practice and, and they'd get in trouble if they didn't do it. And it became a a thing. As they developed their programs, they they acknowledged the person who threw them the pass. You always pointed to the person. And even when you didn't succeed, um if you missed the layup after a great pass, you still pointed to the guy and said, Man, good pass. You see, that's acknowledging the assist. That's saying, it's not about me, it's about us. I didn't do this, we did this. And so even today, you'll see oftentimes on the court, there will be people that will will make an amazing play and they'll point to the person who threw them the ball. Or they'll point to the person who set the screen. Uh, you know, or they'll point to the person who uh, got the rebound at a crucial time in the game. What it says is teamwork. What it says is that there are more people involved than just me. And I like that. And I think it's biblical and as I go to the Bible and I look at people in the Bible and, and I think of all the times where the Bible talks about how that we're to give thanks and how we're to pay honor to whom honor is due and and all those kind of statements about we're not in this alone. We're all dependent on other people. that We're a family. And Paul prayed and said, you know, I give thanks to God all the time for you. Basically what he's saying is thanks. Thank you. He's pointing to people and saying thank you. Have you ever read the end of Paul's letters as he wrote? We, we may call it fluff. You know, that stuff that, well, there's nothing meaty in it. It's just that, um, you know, salutations. Uh, hey, see ya. Thanks. Good to see you and tell so-and-so. Those are pointing to people and giving them credit for things. And, and listen, if you were one of those folks, how would you like to have Paul acknowledge you in one of the books? That, that, you know, you may read a, a or go to a movie and watch a movie and, and get up while the credits scroll. But I'll tell you, if you worked on the movie and you got your name in the credit, you'd sit and wait until it scrolled by, wouldn't you? You wouldn't get up and just walk out. You'd want to see the appreciation, the acknowledgement of whatever it is that you contributed. Well, I want us to look at some people this morning and then bring down some practical uh, applications. People this morning who needed to credit the person for the assist. And I can think of, oh, just dozens, but let me just share a few of them with you. There's the possessed man... Who um, needed to give a point to Jesus? Do you remember in Mark chapter five verses one through twenty, there was a man who was possessed by a demon. I don't know a whole lot about how all that worked. I know that it wasn't because you were of a certain bend or character that these things would come into your life. I know children were demon-possessed. So it wasn't like you already had an inclination toward evil and so God just, or the devil just used you. I think innocent people suffered because of this demon-possession. And here's a man who was demon-possessed and just... Totally out of his mind he he lives in the tombs he he runs through the hills at night and at daytime he he strips himself of his clothing he's just running around naked man and, and he'll find a rock and he'll just like cut his arm and cut himself and People tried to help him they they did reach out to them and and they they bound him they, they Put chains and shackles on his hands and feet. But you know, he was so possessed that he was able to break free from those. And they tried numerous occasions to shackle him to no avail. They must have finally given up on him. Have you ever wondered, did he have family? Was he married? Did he have children? Was his mom and dad still living? Think of the separation and the pain. What if that was your child? What if that was your husband? What if that was your dad? Can you imagine the pain and the grief that that would have brought to that family structure for him to behaving in this way? And hopeless, what do you do about this? Nothing. They tried. They could do nothing. Nothing until Jesus came along. And when Jesus came to the land of Gadarenes, this man ran to him and that unclean spirit, acknowledged Jesus as being the Son of God, and, and cries out, have you come to torment us before our time? Please, just don't do that. Let, let us go into this herd of swine. And, and he allowed it to happen, and the swine, you remember, ran off the cliff. But man, when that guy came back to his right mind, You know, the first thing he wants to do, he runs to Jesus and he says, let me go with you. I am yours after what you have done for me after after I can never repay you. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. And do you remember what Jesus said? Said, no, go home, go back home to your people and you tell them what I have done for you. That man needed to point to Jesus and say, thank you. He was lost without the assist. And don't you know that he must have done exactly what Jesus did as he went back to his hometown and those people that did care for him and did love him, but probably had long since given up on him. He tells them, this is the man. It's not about me. It's about him. He made me well pointing to Jesus, acknowledging the assist. We can turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 9, and we read about Paul and Barnabas. And you know, Paul really owes a point out to Barnabas. He needs to credit Barnabas with the assist. Because you know Paul, before he obeyed the gospel, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was uh, authorized by the authorities to, to... put men and women in prison to arrest them, to even participate in their death. Paul cast his vote to the death of those who were serving Jesus and was there at the stoning of Stephen and helped them held the coat so they could really wind up and let loose and, and stone Stephen to death. This man was participating in the death and destruction of Christians And then he has that vision on the road to Damascus, and the Lord Himself appears to him. He goes into Damascus. There he's preached, or the gospel is preached to him. He obeys the gospel, and he himself begins to preach. That man who was sent to Damascus to arrest Christians is now going on the Sabbath day to the synagogue and preaching the very Jesus that he was once denying and had been assigned and appointed to go arrest people who were doing what he was doing. Paul knew what it was like to be now on the receiving end because the Jews want to kill him. And they put guards at all the gates of Damascus so that they could not, that he could not leave. And they were going to catch him and kill him. And some brethren got wind of it, and they took Paul to the wall put him in a basket and lowered him down the wall in this basket so that he could escape. When he escapes, he goes to Jerusalem. And the brethren there want no part of Paul. Acts 9 and verse 26 says, Paul tried to join himself to the disciples he tried. It's not like he came to town and didn't know who anybody was and didn't know where to go. He tried to join, but they were having none of it. No, I don't trust you. This is a setup. You were trying to trick us. You're trying to win our favor, find out all our names and addresses, and you'll, you'll nail us. No, you, we want nothing to do with you. Paul was on the outside until, verse 27, Barnabas comes along, and Barnabas takes Paul to meet the apostles and says, this man was, yes, once a a blasphemer, yes, he was once one who persecuted Christians, but he's been on the receiving end of it. He, He himself escaped by the skin of his teeth from the very thing he was doing to others. This man is committed to Christ You need to take him in. And they did. What would have happened to Paul had Barnabas not come to his defense? What if Paul would not have had the assist of Barnabas? Would he have become the great man? Would he have become delusioned? Would he have given up? I don't know. But I do know Paul needs to credit Barnabas... And point to him and say, thank you. When no one else would, you did. And what I am is largely due to you. Thank you. Paul needed to credit Barnabas with an assist. And then I look at uh, the book of Philemon. And there's Philemon and the apostle Paul. Uh, Paul needs to be thanked too. and, And by Philemon. Philemon had a runaway slave. His name was Onesimus. And... And when he ran away, he, of all things, ran into Paul while Paul was a prisoner in Rome. And he heard Paul preach, and he obeyed the gospel, and they got to talking, and he found out that he was a runaway slave from Philemon, and so Paul says, well, you need to go back home. Go back to Philemon, but you'll go back as a brother. And so he writes this letter to Philemon, one chapter letter, and In this, he says, he tells Philemon what happened. Hey, by the way, you remember Onesimus ran away from you? Well, I bumped into him in Rome, and now he's a brother in Christ. He obeyed the gospel, and I'm sending him back to you. And here's what I want from you. I want you to take him back, not as a runaway slave. I want you to take him back as your brother in Christ. And then Paul says something really interesting Look at verse 17 in the book of Philemon. He said, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he's wronged you or owes anything, put it on my account. I, Paul, am writing, with my own hand, I will repay. Here's what, but here's what Paul's saying. I want you to take him back. Oh, I know he probably cost you. You lost money because of, of what he's done. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take him back as a brother. And if he owes you anything, if you're out of anything, bill me. And, and Paul was in the habit of using someone write for him, his letters. Paul takes the pen in his own hand and says, I, Paul, am writing now, and I owe you. And I owe you. You've got my signature. I'm telling you, I'm good for it. But before he puts down the pen, he reminds Philemon, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. If you want to bill me for whatever money you lost with Onesimus, go ahead and bill me. I'm good for it. But before you bill me, Let me just remind you that you owe me your own life. I brought you to Jesus. You're going to bill me after what I've done for you? It'd be hard for Philemon to take him up, wouldn't it? Um, I don't know how he could have done it. Philemon needed to do a, a point to Paul and say, Paul, thank you. Thank you for teaching me about Jesus. Thank you for bringing me to Christ. We, we end up owing each other. And then Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla, Acts chapter 18. Apollos was an eloquent speaker, the Apostle Paul says, and he was preaching, but he only knew the baptism of John. He didn't understand the commission, the great commission, the baptism of Jesus. And so he was preaching a baptism that had already been replaced by the baptism of Jesus. And Aquila and Priscilla hear him and they wait and they call him off to the side. They don't publicly humiliate him. They, they don't do it in a way where his defenses immediately go up and he's not listening. They, they pull him off and privately say to him, listen, you, you did well, but there are a few things you need to tweak. And they expounded to him more perfectly the Word of God. And Apollos listened, learned, And went on his way preaching the truth instead of the error. You know, he needed to say, Aquila and Priscilla, thank you. I appreciate that. I was off base. And man, it's hard. It's hard to correct a person. It's hard to do it in a way where they don't take offense or they don't feel belittled, they don't feel demeaned. But Aquila and Priscilla did it in such a way that Apollos grew from it. And he wasn't resentful. and And he left owing them credit for an assist. The Bible is just full of these kind of stories. And then... There's your story. Who do you need to credit with an assist? Who in your life do you need to point to and say, thank you, you made all the difference in the world? And if there are people like that, which no doubt there are, when's the last time you've done that? Do you think it might be meaningful to that person to hear it from you that you made an assist? Can you imagine how uplifted and how good a person will feel? How, how well you'll make their day, their month, their year if they get out of the blue a phone call from you saying, listen, I just want to tell you that who I am today is a large degree because of what you did for me. Thank you. When's the last time you've done a call, a letter, an email like that? There are people in my life that I need to credit with an assist. My parents, my grandparents, my wife. uh, Those people, top of the list. I mean, in so many ways, you know, we could stay here all the time. There are those obvious people, we need to tell them, thank you. I am who I am because of you. Thank you for the assist. But there are other people that don't play maybe major roles, but they've just been influential in your life. Do you think it would be helpful to a person who thinks, I've just been an ordinary person all my life. I've never done anything outstanding. I've never got my name in a newspaper. I I just lived and tried to follow Jesus and I've never done anything, don't you think that they would be bowled over if they heard from you and say, you made a difference in me? I remember growing up an elder by the name of William McMahon. I was just a little boy, but William McMahon was one of the elders where my dad preached and that guy was so impressive to me as a child. First of all, he had, a, a, I guess, a photograph, kind of like Benny, a photographic memory. He he knew everybody in the congregation, 350 people he could tell you at a moment's notice when their birthday was. He never failed to express to you happy birthday. And then what he would do, though, that re- I remember the most is that He would come by our Bible class as a child. He would come by before we got started, and he would come in and say, Steve, did you learn your memory verse this week? I did not want to disappoint William McMahon. And I would say, yes, I did. And I would quote the verse for him. And he would go around to all the children's classes and whatever that skill was in that particular class, he would go through and every Sunday... He took that kind of interest and had that kind of influence on me that I didn't want to, I didn't want to disappoint William McMahon. And I did my work. That man is credited with an assist. The verses that I can quote from memory today are verses that I learned when I was just a little boy, and I learned them because I knew that William McMahon was going to be there asking me, Did I learn my verse? Um He's been gone a long time, but I owe him a point. I think of a lady who lived behind our house. She was a sister in Christ. We just called her Sister Wright. She was 102 years old. I I mowed her yard for probably 10 or more years um, as as a boy growing up. And um, she was, well, she was old, I only knew her as a very old lady but everything about her said Jesus there was nothing out of the way there was nothing about her life and here she was she would she would go to church she's 100 years old and she's going to church every time the door's open and and just uh if if you could have found or wanted to find reasons where you could be excused and nobody would get on your back for not coming to church. Oh, she had those. But she wanted to be there because she was dedicated to Jesus and she lived her life trying to serve Him. And, and well she wasn't a preacher, she didn't lead singing, she didn't lead public prayers, she, she didn't teach Bible class, she just lived like Jesus. And I remember that about her. She was my neighbor all the time I grew up. I owe her a point for the life that she lived and the assist that she gave me. When we first got married, we moved to a place, Nitro, West Virginia just outside of Charleston, West Virginia, and we preached there. I was just out of college. I knew nothing. I mean, I was so green. I'm not talking about just Bible knowledge. I'm talking about like, what if a screw comes out? What do we do? What if the furnace doesn't work? What if my car stops working? What if we have a leak in the ceiling? I didn't know anything. And there was a man, his name was Bo, and Bo Hammonds... Came to my rescue many many times. Bo was a big guy, big thick calloused hands. He had worked all of his life using, you know, hammers and so forth. He was a carpenter, and man, that guy fixed my car. He came in, you know, we had a leak in the ba- in the bedroom, and I didn't know how to fix that stuff. And and next thing I knew, there's Bo at the door. He's fixing my roof. Uh, He's constantly doing those kind of things. He never taught a class. You couldn't get him up in front of people. Would never do that. But again, Bo was just one of these guys that was just constantly doing good. Like Jesus, going about doing good in the name of Jesus. When Bo was dying and I was asked by his wife, I need someone to sit up all night with Bo. I didn't hesitate. I didn't have to think twice. I wasn't going to ask somebody else to do it. As much as he has done for me, I I immediately would volunteer for those kind of things. Because of who he was, I owed him. I need to give him credit for an assist. And I can just keep going. And the point that I just wanted to introduce you to is, so can you. There are people in your lives that have made all the difference in the world to you. And and I'm not just talking about big differences. I'm talking about who in your life and who in your history in big ways, small ways have assisted you in following Jesus and being one of His disciples. If those people are still living, Will you write them a note today? Will you spend a little time this afternoon on the telephone? Will you surprise a person and say, out of the blue, they get a call from an old, old friend who they haven't seen in years. And they get to hear that friend say, you know, I just want to say thank you. You have helped me to be who I am today. You have helped to direct my eyes to Jesus. And that's the most important thing in my life. And I just need to say thank you. Dean Smith and Coach Wooden, they had it right. Credit the guy who passed you the ball credit the guy who makes the assist. Celebrations that glorify yourself, that show off the other team, that humiliate the other team, that just rise the ire in the opposing fans, do away with those. That's old stuff. I mean, who needs that? that? That cheapens the game, in my opinion. But there's a place for celebration. Celebration that calls attention to the other guy, to the person who helped you do what you did. We need more of those. Let's learn to credit the assist. Point to the person who's helped you to become who you are today. And don't ever, as Paul said, don't ever cease to give thanks in remembering that person in prayer. Give thanks. Like I said... Don't just listen and say, well, that was a nice little lesson today. I want you to go home and I want you to put it into practice. There are people here who have made a difference in your lives. Tell them. It will make all the difference in the world to them and their spirit and give them a sense of peace and accomplishment that maybe they desperately need because they feel like a failure. They don't feel like they've made a difference when you know better. Give honor to whom honor is due. Let's leave here and do that this week. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God and you want to obey the Gospel, let's do it now. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already, but unfaithful and it's time to come home, and you want your brethren to pray for you, we'll do that as well if you'll come as we stand together and sing.